Welcome to Footy Time. My name is Johnny Raff. How are we all doing? We've just finished round 22. There is one round to go. And still so much that can change in that top eight. It's going to be a belter of a final round next week. And I both can't wait for it and would prefer a little bit more time before it comes. But either way, it's going to be nothing short of exciting. There's going to be plenty to talk about this time next week. There's plenty to talk about this week as well, so let's get stuck into it. The streak is finally over. After 11 wins in a row from the Collingwood Football Club, it finally came to an end on Sunday afternoon at the SCG against the Sydney Swans. Was this a good thing? Was it a bad thing? What does it mean for the Pies going forward in the next month? We'll go through all of those things, I guess, but just a bit on the game itself. So they were playing a very formidable side in the Sydney Swans who have snuck under the radar like they always do, and they sit currently in second spot on the ladder now. We all knew this was going to come eventually, but how did they look in this loss? You've got to judge a team challenging for top honours. You've got to judge them on their losses against quality opposition sometimes, and we'll go into this right now. I guess the first question is, how did Collingwood lose this game? Well, the funny thing is they were... Well, as I said before, they were playing a very, very good side. That's the starting point. But it's also time that I think people started taking this one a bit more seriously. This is a team that really has everything going for them right now across the park in most positions. They've got a very, a very honest back six. They've got a forward line that can kick goals. And they've got a midfield that just runs you off your feet. It's a recipe for success in the game of 2022. And I just, yeah, don't know how they've been un- look, just overlooked so much. But as for the Pies, where where do things start? Well, the first thing that we have to look at here is Nick Dacos. People have been saying this for weeks, and it was going to happen eventually. But people were saying that some team needs to put attention into Nick Dacos because he is roaming free off the back line, and he's creating a lot of their scoring chances coming out of defence. We were saying it week after week, and for whatever reason, teams weren't taking this into into account. And probably with good reason, because there's a lot of sides that don't want to sacrifice a player from their systems to shut down or nullify an opposition player. But this was the week where it happened. The Swans decided to get Ryan Clark involved, a guy who's had some really good tagging jobs this year, actually. They got him to mark Nick Dacos very tightly. Dacos had four possessions for that first quarter and three of them coming from uh, after behind (laughs) kick-ins. So guess what? It worked. (laughs) It worked. Craig McRae saw this. Uh, Fly does not strike me as a coach that sits on his hands. He definitely (laughs) does things. He, He is proactive. And he could see that Dacos was not getting anywhere near it. So he moved Dacos to the half-forward flank to try and break the tag. And, you know, that's a positive thing to do. But every time Dacos went back to the back line, Ryan Clark was there. And he wore him like a glove. 
So, yeah, this was something that they could see coming and they just couldn't do anything about it. Now, we've really enjoyed the Pies for the last 11 weeks. They've played some absolutely stunning football to watch. But this kind of happens when you get a little bit into a groove. When you get into this groove of consistently winning, things are going well, then you're not really thinking about the what-ifs. You're not really thinking about the, well, we've got a guy here who a lot of our scores are pretty much started by in Nick Dacos, off the back line, rebound 50s. Uh, What happens if he is tended to? What happens if they put work into him? What are we going to do? Well, are we going to shepherd more? Are we going to try and block the tagger? Get you know, get in their face? You're not thinking that laterally. You're just trying to think about your game, and hopefully, your teammates doing their game. If everything's going well, then everything's going well. You don't think about your plan Bs. And look, Collingwood have been challenged in a lot of games, but they haven't had a challenge like this before yet. There have not been any teams that have paid Nick Dacos, a first-year player, as much attention as Sydney did on the weekend. So, yeah, they couldn't get him involved. They couldn't block. They couldn't get him a free run in defence. He was just checked every single time. Um, there was talk last week on Footy Classified from Eddie Maguire that there was a potential virus ripping through the club. Not COVID, but a potential virus that had taken a couple of players. And I can't remember off the top of my head which ones they were, but this is a problem that clubs have had to face this year. I mean, we've heard all sorts of stories about uh, clubs having to manage their players and um, just rotate out to a bit of uh, isolating. Uh, Melbourne had to do it around round nine, I think. It, oh, no, sorry, it was about round six, seven. Um, it can have a lingering effect. I'm not saying that it could do that with Collingwood, but it does have a flow-on effect. If you're losing that little bit of running capacity, then just keep a lookout for this. It might have an effect on the way they play. It definitely had an effect on the way Melbourne did early in the year. And a few other clubs have had these situations as well. Uh, but Jordan Goey, the late withdrawal of him, really just it threw things into a bit of a tailspin. I mean, they're already missing Taylor Adams. And last week against Melbourne, I think Goey sort of filled Adams' shoes, and he did so very, very well as the clearance midfielder. And when he was out, it seemed like they kind of ran out of ideas. So it looked like guys like uh, Braden Maynard and even still Sidebottom were going into centre bounces, which doesn't really happen often at all. Um, yeah, and it didn't work out. So, yeah, they were no match for the Parkers, the Millses, Robottoms, Warners. They were really up against it, and the Swans... They won the clearances very convincingly, and that was the way it started and finished, really. But, but let's not take away from the Swans. They were excellent. And I think the Dane Rampy rundown of Brody Majacek, when a certain open goal was, was on the cards there, I think that that just really underlined the Swans' performance in this game. They were just absolutely selfless and willing to do whatever it took to get the job done. I think in a lot of ways that does encapsulate what the Swans of 2022 are all about. And they've got so many guys that they just don't get the credit that they deserve. Um, I just wanted to quickly touch on this deliberate rush behind decision that happened. Uh, on, was, I think it was Paddy McCartan. Um, 
I cannot believe this. Um, it was a shocker. It was an absolute shocker of a decision. Uh, McCartan marked the ball in the uh, back 50. He took a step to the side and they called play on. Uh, so he was within the nine metres, which means that he could rush the ball through without uh, being given a free kick against. So as the Collingwood forward um, closed in, McCartan retreated across the line to get a rush behind. It seemed pretty straightforward. It's it's something you see pretty much every week, and we don't question that much because, you know, you're within that nine-metre zone under pressure, and we've been told over and over that that's not a deliberate rush behind. Well, not this time. I'll just quickly read what the rule is meant to be. So it's 18... Point eleven point two free kicks for deliberate rush behinds. A field umpire shall award a free kick against a player from the defending team who intentionally kicks, handballs, or forces the football over the attacking team's goal line or behind line or onto one of the attacking team's goalposts. And the player A is greater than 9 metres from the goal line or behind line. B is not under immediate physical pressure. C has had time and space to dispose of the football. And D from a ruck contest, hits the ball over the goal line on the full. Well, I might have been watching this one on my phone at the time, but I don't think that makes a difference. McCartan was clearly within the nine metres. He didn't have a chance to dispose of the footy when he was called to play on, and he wasn't in a ruck contest. So, yeah, you, you could say that maybe his prior opportunity came when he marked the ball, but there's no mention of that in the rules. This is nothing. So, yeah. I, I, I don't know what to say about that. I think that the umpire maybe just, in the heat of the moment, just made the wrong call. I hate to say it, but I think that's what happened. So a fantastic win for Sydney, but where does this leave Collingwood? Um... I think that Collingwood are very well placed, very well placed, and a lot of people thought that this was the loss that they needed to have. I do believe that when you go into the finals with uh, getting that sort of that loss out, of, you never want to have a loss, but if you can get that loss out of the way, I don't love winning streaks going into the finals. So if you've got it out of the way, you do have a chance to regroup and come out. They've got this game against Carlton this weekend, and they can get it back together, go into the finals with something you know, a little bit of form. I, I do think that they're as well-placed as any. If you told a Collingwood fan three months ago that they would be in this position, they would have said, who cares? We'll take it. They're in a very good position. They're playing very exciting footy, very attractive footy, very unpredictable footy. It's very hard to to stop them. So, yeah, I, I don't think that's that's the bad part of this. I think the loss is, is okay. The concern for Collingwood is that there's a lot happening in the medical front. <laughs> so we talked about the virus that may be having an effect on some of these players, but there was actually a hip injury that kept Jordan to going out. He may not be ready to take on the Blues next Sunday. They've got Jack Ginevan, who's probably not going to make it back either when he came out at halftime with a hamstring problem. These are key outs with everything to play for. And I'm not sure if this is going to have a big effect on the Pies, but yeah, look, that's a bit to work through there for Craig McRae. I think that 
the position they're in right now, I wouldn't worry about the loss. They were beaten by a very, very good team who came to play, and they are the real deal. So no major concerns there, but some of these injuries, there is a slight concern. They also need to figure out some of these opposition moves a little bit. Teams are going to put time into Nick Dacos again. And, yeah, I just wonder if their forward line got a bit worked out as well on Sunday. I just wonder how long you can rely on guys like Mason Cox and Brody Majacek. And uh, they've got some great small forwards, obviously, Jamie Elliott, an absolute star. But I just wonder if if that is enough to get them where they want to go. The Essendon Football Club is in crisis as of the 15th of August 2022. I don't want to labor on this one too long. I just want to touch on it. But today, depending on which papers you read or which news sources you read, uh, Paul Brasher, the president, has stepped down. And for a brief moment there, Coach Ben Rutten was reportedly sacked and then unsacked, uh, according to the media. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. A lot. Uh, but we're in a situation with Essendon, once again, where nothing has seemed to change. Nothing. Uh, Matthew Lloyd's come out and said that there's probably been some inconsistencies with the way that they have communicated the internal review that they did recently. And that's where I would look to first. Hearing this news that Paul Brasher is stepping down pretty much as soon as the internal review was completed, really... It's been a few weeks, I think. It, it just makes me feel like that this review was a complete waste of time. Because what's the point now? If Even if Ben Rutten is staying, he's essentially going to have to go through this whole thing again when a new president and board comes on. I, I don't understand what the whole point of that was. I, I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to think of the reasons why this happened. But I don't understand why they went to this process to do a full-on review during the season, mind you, and yeah, the, the idea was to get more support and help for Ben Rutten. I actually didn't mind the way that Paul Brescher spoke about this a few weeks ago. I, I think he copped a little bit of blowback, but I actually thought it was it was refreshing that he had come out and said, the coach isn't under pressure, we're all behind Ben Rutten, but we're looking to get him the support that he needs and we're looking to make sure that we've got the structures in place that will allow him to coach to the best of his ability I guess I was actually really impressed by that because it took a bit of strength to come out and make those statements and yeah this happens and I just think that regardless of what you think about Ben Rutten and whether you think he's the right man for the job or not at Essendon I just feel like he's had to deal with the worst situation in his first two years as coach I don't feel that any other coach that started in recent years has had to deal with the crap that Ben Rutten has had to. It's just been a turbulent time over and over again. There's been some kind of drama. Yeah. It's just really disappointing, really disappointing. Uh, as of right now, he keeps his job, but I I reckon it's untenable to be honest. I can't see how he would stay uh, from all accounts, depending on these articles that you read, there's certain board members that aren't fans of, of uh, Rutten, uh, you know, not sure, I mean, but I, I don't know if Kevin Sheedy's a massive fan. I'm, I'm not sure. He might be, but it doesn't seem like that. Um, 
you got Josh Marnie, who's been at the club for two years now, and he was most likely a big part of this review. So I don't know what the end game was here and what the end game is right now. I don't know. So, yeah, Xavier Campbell could be under pressure as CEO. Uh, not sure what's happening with Adrian Dodoro, the list manager. Uh, Marnie would be under pressure. I feel like everyone would be under pressure at that club right now to keep their job. As of right now, I don't think any position is safe. So, yeah, it's the same old stuff. Same old stuff with this. And, and it's just never going to change until they get some stability and believe in what they're doing. Once again, we have true or false this week, and Daniel Andrews has prepared some for us earlier. Fire away, Dan. Hey, everyone. Back again for another edition of True or False. So, let's see what we've got for this week. If Carlton misses the finals from this point, it's a big setback for the Voss era. True or false? Hmm. Yeah, it's a hard one for the cult supporters to stomach this possibility. Every chance they'll drop out if the Bulldogs can win their last two games and Carlton can't win one of their remaining two quite difficult games. I'm going to say false here. I think the progress that Voss has made is not contingent on making finals. You can see a clear game plan, clear evolution. The players are buying in and the with their age profile, they should only get better really. While I'm sure the supporters and, of course, the players would be wanting to play finals, it's not the be-all and end-all. We've seen many teams over the years scrape into 7th and 8th, and it's almost like the uh, RIP position because often they're not going to be there next year and they might even cop quite a sizable defeat in that first week of finals. So I really don't think uh, the difference between finishing 7th or 8th and ninth and 10th should be as big a deal as it is. Obviously, it is because everyone's trying to make that top eight the whole year. But uh, I don't think it's going to set them back. So I wouldn't be too worried as a neutral who's thinking about how the Blues will go in the next few years. But of course, if I was a Blues supporter, I'd be absolutely ropeable. I remember when Melbourne were going through their uh, drought of not making the finals. Uh, it was horrible to miss out so many times, especially when we were close to it. So we'll see what Carlton can do, eh? Great one to get started with, Dan. I mean, it all comes down to how you look at it, I guess, and uh, the list profile, where the club is at or where they feel that they're at. I'm also going to say no. It's not a setback. However, I do think that the benefit of playing finals this year will be a benefit. <laughs> so uh, you mentioned Melbourne... In 2017, I think in particular, uh, that's a really good comparison because I think Carlton fans would be feeling similar to how we did back then, and they are craving finals. They they want to be there. Uh, you have guys like Paddy Cripps who are just dying to get there, so it would be a massive blow for guys like Paddy and others if they were unable to make it. There's some who would be expecting Carlton to make it, and I think there would be some who might think that they're still another year off. I mean, they still do have some frailties down back. There's still a few issues with uh, their ability to run out the game for four quarters. Still got some younger legs there. And, yeah, just a few things to evolve. They still are a developing team, really, when it all comes down to it. Uh, you mentioned 
that sometimes make the seventh or eighth spot and they're just making up the numbers. I love the, the term, the ROP position. Like, that does happen quite often. I mean, look at Essendon last year. Um, I think Essendon's got a reasonable list, but a lot of people were thinking that maybe it would have been better if they didn't make the finals because it would mask over some of the other problems that they had or, or they needed to just not get ahead of themselves. Um so, yeah, sometimes it's not always about making the finals if you're uh, in this phase of a build, I guess. Um, and the way things are going, Carlton certainly have the group to have sustained success going forward. They've got all these key pieces, and I think they're going to be around for a while. But treat with caution, because there are some of these key pieces that are going to be out of contract next year. Harry Mackay, Charlie Kernow, Tom DeConing. Uh, they'll be a lot easier to re-sign, I think, if they can get a taste of finals this year. But not a deal-breaker. Uh, I'm not certain how Carlton will fare if they play finals this year. Uh, as a lot of people have seen before, it can be a bit traumatising when a, a club that maybe doesn't have a, any business being in the eight gets blown out by another club. It can set them back a little bit. But there is the the finals experience side of things. You, you want to get you guys some kind of finals experience because, well, some is better than none going forward, in my view. Let's move on to the next one. All right, next statement to go through here. The Cats' soft run into finals is problematic. True or false? Well... This is something that people have talked about from, you know, for quite a few years. The fact that, you know, is it better to have a tough run into finals or is it better to have, you know, some guaranteed wins? Personally, I'm of the opinion that you actually want to be tested out. You want to be battle-hardened. So Geelong faces the Suns away, which is not that easy of a game, but for Geelong shouldn't be too hard, hopefully, for their supporters. But uh, in the last game against West Coast at uh, GMHBA, so that will probably be little more than a training run. Unfortunately, the last performance that West Coast uh, put out when they were down there is anything to go by. So if you look at the comparison of some of the other top four teams who they're facing in the final couple of rounds, uh, most of them are actually facing off (coughs) against uh, other top eight teams or even other top four teams, so... Yeah, I think if you had the choice, you would actually choose the harder run into finals because it's going to be it's going to resemble more of what you're actually going to encounter once you actually get to the finals. And combine that with the week off, it's almost in a way for Geelong like they've got this really long lead into finals. They know they're going to finish top more or less, and they know that uh, what else whatever other team's going to be doing in terms of smashing into each other to try and get those last couple of spots in the top four and the top eight. So I guess Geelong look a little untouchable at the moment, but uh, I think this soft run into finals could be problematic just in terms of getting up for that first final in particular. So I'll say true for that one. So in the last month, Geelong have played one team in the top eight which at the time of playing them was the Saints. Honing in specifically on the last two games before the finals, 
well, they just played a Gold Coast team that is clearly checked out in 2022, and we'll finish up with West Coast down at GMHBA Stadium. I'm actually going to go with false on this question, as this will only be a problem if the Cats let it become a problem, i.e. if they don't go out there and professionally handle West Coast without letting up. Uh, the temptation will be to rest players, and you know this can flirt with form a little bit, but I think if they manage this well and keep, you know, keep honest, then it shouldn't be a big issue. Now, I did just think of, of something. I did think that... So they just sealed the minor premiership on the weekend. And they've had a, a couple of games break over the next... You know, the second place for a few weeks now. So they've known for at least two weeks that they're probably going to finish with the minor premiership. So I do take Dan's point there that it's almost a month of playing games with no real motivation, I guess. And, and that that can become an issue. It definitely can. Um, see, if, if it came down to this last game against West Coast to seal the minor premiership, that's a little bit different. That's, that's not as, I guess, uh, it's still a soft front end, but there's at least something to keep the guys, you know, just, just honest. So, look, you'd... Probably be it'd be more of a concern, I think, if if they had sealed the minor premiership a month ago. But yeah, with that, and also with a, a pre-finals uh, buy this time, yeah, it just makes you wonder if they haven't had a massive test for a month. Yeah, I, I wonder how yeah how much of an effect that'll play on this team. But I'm still I'm gonna go with false. However. And there is a very, very big however here. I believe that a tougher run into the finals can be of massive benefit. So the chance to get put to the wall and get battle-hardened, as Dan said, against quality opposition and come through with a win can be a massive boost beyond what you could ever imagine. I mean, we saw what happened with Melbourne in round 23 over Geelong last year, just as we saw with Port over the Dogs in that very same round. Uh, like I said, there will be a pre-finals by this year, so I don't know how that affects things. But one thing for sure is, when you get to the finals, you want to be as sharp and dialed in as humanly possible. And I, I so I don't think the 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 soft running can hurt Geelong too much, but I think that having a battle-hardened running definitely helps the teams who have it. Next, all right. The next statement we've got is. Geelong's first final, very Geelong-centric here, <laughs> Geelong's first final will be played at the MCG if they are playing a Melbourne-based team. True or false? There is no chance in hell that a final between Geelong and another Victorian club will be played at GMHBA Stadium. Zero percent. The capacity of GMHBA is around 36,000 people at the moment. You simply can't be locking out that many people especially when we haven't played a final in this state in two years. The AFL would also be leaving a fair chunk of revenue on the table here. Then you've got all the agreements with the MCC. So, yeah. Look, sometimes Geelong seems like an interstate side. And yes, they will have to play a grand final on the G, just like other interstate sides. 
But let's not pretend that Geelong has no presence in the city of Melbourne fan-wise either. There are tons of Cats fans based in Melbourne, and you know it. Everybody knows somebody that barracks for Geelong that isn't from the city of Geelong. So I don't think that this is the advantage that the Cats need to ensure that they win in that first week of finals footy. They just have to go to the G. Their style seems to hold up so far on this kind of ground, and they've just got to get it done. I'd also like to bring this up. 12 months ago, Dan and I had a conversation on this very show during lockdown about the decision to either play home finals for Victorian-based clubs in Melbourne without a crowd or to play them interstate so you could have a crowd. The overwhelming majority of the footy public and the AFL themselves said it would be better if the games were played in front of a crowd. But I remember Dan had a slightly different take on this that I wasn't really hearing much elsewhere. But it was a good point. So he was saying that a crowd was not totally necessary. It was more something that we wanted as footy fans. And if it meant taking away the home ground advantage that these teams had worked for, uh, it wasn't really worth it. Because, yeah, it was just something that was nice to have in a crowd. Uh, We remember that Gary Perth, the Melbourne CEO, was the only club CEO in the finals last year who voted to play at our traditional home ground without a crowd. In the end, we got what we got. Finals interstate, with only Port getting home finals and blowing them, obviously. (laughs) Uh, So, I'm bringing this topic well and truly back to the fore 12 months later. After going through all that, the crowd being important, not locking fans out, Two years of no finals in Melbourne after the AFL doing anything they can to maximise their revenue. Are we really now going to completely backflip on all of that and take an all-Victorian final to Geelong? Turn it up. <laughs> Look, from a moral side, it is the Cats' home ground. And if it is an interstate team, then maybe a magic wand can be waved and they can get that final down there. But from a business side of things, it's not going to happen. What do you think, Dan? true. Geelong gets to play finals GMHBA very, very occasionally if they're playing an interstate team. This does not happen if they're playing against a Melbourne-based team. All the contracts are in place that mean these finals have to be played at the MCG unless there's already going to be like three other finals at the MCG. This is always a topic that comes up every year. People thinking, oh, they've earned the right. Blah, 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 blah. The, the contracts are in place. The finals in Victoria are played at the MCG, but for exceptional circumstances. So it's cut and dry. Sorry, Geelong supporters. You're going to the MCG, and perhaps you might be playing uh, Melbourne or Collingwood in that first week there. Perhaps uh, the way the ladder shakes out, it may be an interstate team finishing in uh, that fourth position. And in that case, if there are no other finals in Melbourne that weekend... Uh, if there, sorry, if there are other finals in Melbourne that weekend, then perhaps you might actually get a home final there. But uh, not if it's against another Melbourne team, I'm afraid to say. So hopefully uh, that new game plan works pretty well at the MCG. <laughs> All right, and one for you to finish on, Johnny. The Demons are capable of winning the flag from outside the top four. True or false? Oh, boy. I have to be very careful about what I say here. 
I've noticed a lot of places lately where Melbourne fans cannot tolerate one ounce of negativity or realism. But this is a football show, so I'm not here to be a Melbourne homer. Um, Melbourne are capable of winning the flag from outside the top four, yes. If we see them get back to the levels of pressure we saw in last year's finals and the back six working in complete harmony, then yes, you could see them having a slight chance of winning it or at least playing in the grand final from outside the top four. It is undoubtedly much harder, but with all the loading training that they've done through the middle of the year and how things have been geared towards them hitting their peak performance now, um, you can see them hitting some really good form, I guess, in the month of September. It could bear some fruit because, as I said, that's what it's all been geared towards. So that's the answer to the question, are Melbourne capable? But in my opinion, they cannot do it. There are just too many issues with Melbourne right now that would prevent them from running the table in finals, with the most glaring one being the forward structure. Without Tom McDonald, they are just not going to be able to create enough space in the forward 50. Our small forwards have found separation really hard to come by in the last few weeks. There's just an element of horrible luck working against the Ds here in that We've backed Sam Wiedemann in to be the man to step up and take that mantle, but it has not happened. Uh, we've got a young Jacob Van Royen doing wonders for Casey, but he's a kid and not quite ready. The gap between the VFL and AFL has never been bigger. <laughs> You've got Mitch Brown, who just doesn't do enough for four quarters. They're running with Melksham at the moment, who had a blinder on Saturday night, but the jury is still out on this forward setup as a group. You've also got a few players out there who just look banged up, to be honest. Um, I personally believe that James Jordan is playing with a bad knee. Uh, he just can't seem to turn at the moment the way he usually does. He's he's making you know Jack Trengove look like Adam Trelaw at the moment. He's just his turning circle is he's massive. Um, Jake Lever has all sorts of issues: foot, shoulder, ankle. Salem and Rivers have had their issues all year and they're just starting to come back into touch, but it's got to have a compounding effect. Uh, then there's the game plan. It's a great game plan, but we do look predictable at the moment, kicking to the pocket often, bombing away too much, kicking out from after a behind is scored, going to the left side of the ground every time. It, it's just so predictable and very easy to set up for. Um, I don't know... I feel like to win four wins straight, you've got to be a little bit more unpredictable and have a little bit more to draw on. Unless there are tricks in store. Does Simon have some good tricks up the sleeve? I don't know. All in all, are Melbourne capable of winning outside the top four? Yes, they are. Will they? I, I think maybe in any other year, they'd have more going for them if they were to finish outside the top four. But this year, I just think, yeah, we'd have a better chance if there were some more things going for us. This year's not the one. That is the end of True or False. Thanks very much to Dan for getting those ready for us. Yeah. Top four and top eight watch. Nine games to decide the eight. And then nine games to decide the flag. 
The AFL season is drawing to a close, and with just one round left and ten teams still in contention for the Premiership. We are going to go through every single possibility that could occur after round 23. I'd just like to say that if you think that I'm a genius, then you are sillier than you look. I cannot be bothered going through all these myself, so I'm literally just going to read these straight off the news.com site. Uh, or Fox Sports, whatever it is. So, the predicted for week one finals uh, setup is looking like this. Well, actually, no, let's go to the predicted final ladder that they've got. So, they've got it finishing like this. Geelong, Sydney, Melbourne, Collingwood, Fremantle, Brisbane, Richmond, Bulldogs, with Carlton missing out, and then St Kilda finishing 10th. Yikes. Um, so, their projected finals will have the first qualifying final, Geelong versus Collingwood at the MCG. They will have the first elimination final with Frio and the Bulldogs at Optus Stadium. The second elimination final will be Brisbane versus Richmond the Gabba and the second qualifying final, Sydney versus Melbourne at the SCG. So, what has to happen? Okay, on Friday night, the winner of Brisbane and Melbourne will make the top four and the loser will almost certainly host an elimination final with the exact seeding to be determined on Sunday. On Saturday afternoon, Fremantle can keep its top four hopes alive by beating GWS, but also needing to see what happens in the Sydney game to find out if they make it. On Saturday, Twilight Geelong will beat West Coast and, uh, you know, finish top. On Saturday night, Richmond can finish seventh by beating Essendon. And on Sunday, the Bulldogs need to beat Hawthorne down in Launceston to keep the pressure up on the Blues. On Sunday afternoon, if the Blues win against Collingwood, they will secure a finals berth, while the Magpies will need to win that game to earn their top four spot. If the Bulldogs win by a couple of goals, uh, that is what needs to happen. Sorry, I mucked that up. If Let me start this again. If the Bulldogs win by a couple of goals, then Carlton needs to beat Collingwood to play finals. That's better. <laughs> so, depending on all those early results, Sydney might need to win against St Kilda to seal their top four or even top two spot. They have a percentage that is currently less than a percent better than Melbourne. So, it could come down to a percentage race again. Um, maybe if Melbourne beat Brisbane somehow by enough and Sydney only just get over St Kilda, maybe they overtake on percentage. Don't know. While St Kilda are mathematically fighting for the last spot in the eight and they just need to win. That's all there is to it. So that is everything. Good luck. Just want to finish off with one last thing and it's a shout out to two very special people in the footy world. Um, no matter what platform it is in life, whether it be sport, business, politics, you name it, we're all different and different things make us tick as people. If you can draw inspiration from any area in your life, you just got to take it, no matter how silly it might be to other people. If it 
if it means something to you, then you got to take it. Um, but over the weekend, I was given so much encouragement from these two people. The first one is Ben Cunnington. Two bouts of testicular cancer. His most recent game of footy being in round 19 of 2021. He made his return to the field on the weekend against the Crows. Uh, ben had spoken about his long and emotional journey where he'd had the first scare about around August last year um, and then a second scare in November. So they'd, they'd done the surgery, they thought things were going all right and they had another scare, it just didn't quite go to plan. So he underwent chemotherapy and things took a pretty deep dive after that. Um, it was There were so many little steps involved in this recovery. Even walking was an effort for Ben to start with, then running, then getting out there on the track again. A few other setbacks. I think there might have been a calf injury in there. But the North Melbourne Footy Club was fantastic in their support for Ben, giving him all the help and time that he needed. And then he finally came back in this game against the Crows. And yeah, uh, Aaron Bryan's... Uh, one of the journos on Twitter, he tweeted a photo of Ben just alone on the ground at Adelaide Oval before the game in the centre circle, just taking it all in. Uh, he sat down, cross-legged in the centre circle for a bit. It was just, uh, it was just a great shot. I really liked it, and yeah, it said a thousand words. You just wonder what was going through his head. But I'm really happy for Ben. Uh, there's always been a sense, in my view at least, that North Melbourne. There's always been a better team when Ben Cunnington is out there playing. And you could see how wrapped his teammates were to have him back. Even ex-player David King, who didn't play with Ben, expressed a lot of emotion on what this meant to the club and what it meant for Ben, obviously. It was it was a really good day. Really good day for both club and player. And I think this is the feel-good story of the year, really. Um, but the next guy I want to talk about is Sam Doherty. So I think Ben, that that's the best feel-good moment of the season, I think. But with Sam Doherty, he's been doing it all year. Game in, game out. He's been an absolute beacon of consistency. And on Saturday night against the D's, with George Hewitt, Matt Kennedy, and Adam Chera all out, Doherty was asked to go into the midfield, and he did not disappoint. I actually thought he was Carlton's best player on the night. This man has also had two bouts of testicular cancer. And on top of that, he's had at least two ACL injuries that needed full knee reconstructions. Uh, he missed about two years worth of footy from those alone. If there's a better story of resilience out there right now, please let me know because I think this one honestly takes the cake. Uh, I really do. So well done, Sam. You're an absolute legend and Blues fans are lucky to have you. I'm so proud of both these guys. Not that I know them personally, uh, but just with everything that's happening in the world right now, it's things like this that make you realise, well, A, a lot of us don't know what hard means, <laughs> and B, there is some good in the world. That's all I've got to say. Well, that's it for another episode of Footy Time. Thank you very much for joining us. We've got the big finale next week, round 23. What are we going to be talking about this time next week? How is this ladder going to finish? Oh, the tension is so thick, you couldn't cut it with a machete. We are going to find out. 
In the meantime, enjoy the week. Hopefully your team can finish the season with a win, whether you have finals aspirations or whether you will be getting ready for a mad Monday and uh, draft and trade period. That's always good to finish off with a win in my view. Gives you something to go into preseason with and a little bit of confidence. Anyway, thanks for joining us. Bye for now.